What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. What a joy it is to be before you all. If you are new, joining online or in person, my name is Miguel Warren and one of the pastors here. And uh, what we'll do is I'll read from, if you could, I'll read, if you could turn to 1 John chapter 4, and we'll read verses 7 through 12. Um, and after I get done reading, I will pray for us, and I ask for you to join and pray for us as well. As we sit at the feet of our Father, I hear the pages turning. If you got it, say amen. amen. If you need a moment, say hold up. There you go. Come on. It's all right. Y'all, come on. Y'all know y'all, we ain't new to this, you know. My Baptist roots always stay with me. You got to talk to me, baby. No, uh, in all seriousness, though. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And it reads as this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In this love, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to the throne of our Father. Oh God, how awesome and excellent is thy name above all the earth. We sit in this room carrying many burdens. Life has a way of dealing with us. But Father, I pray that in this moment we will receive your invitation, that we would find rest in you, that you would speak to us even though we exist in this weary world. Help our hearts and our minds be oriented to around you, to have a greater awareness of your present, Father. I pray that you do what I or no man can do, and that is bring life from dead places. Ignite that which is dead, Father. Rebuke, encourage, fan into flame that which is going out, Father. I pray that as we talk about love, help us to have a better understanding of what love is. So, Father, under the sound of my voice, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together said, Amen. Amen. Love. We all want it. Love is something that 
we all desire to have. And I guarantee that if we sat here and broke off into groups and had a conversation about the definition of love, we would kind of have different meanings, different ranges thereof. Many of us live in this world looking for love in different ways. Some of us grow up waiting to be loved, to get married, to find that perfect spouse. Many of us want to be loved in this world because we're like, if I could just get this job, then life will be good and I will feel loved because I'm wanted. I have skills. You name it. You keep going on and on. Love is something we all seek because we're human beings. And we were created in God's image. My question to you is, what do you love most? If you was to take an inventory of your life, how would love be defined in your life? By the way that you live. Here's the reality is that because we're human beings, we're broken, we tend to discard God's standard of love because we want to love and be loved based off of our standards. We tell God we know what's best because we live here on this earth. We walk through life. People, believers, non-believers, allows love to be defined by the world instead of allowing God to define it. And today we will spend our time looking at how Jesus is the love we need for this weary world. Love, in the book of 1 John, it's mentioned on every page. It's actually mentioned 40 times throughout this short letter. It's one of the major themes that comes about through this letter. And in this book, in the book of 1 John, and throughout the Bible, we often see how love is woven throughout the fabric of our lives as human beings. We were created to love and we all desire to love and be loved. We know that God has the two greatest commandments. Love, love is our highest calling. If you are a believer, we know in the Synoptic Gospels, and particularly Matthew 22, we see that the two greatest, the highest call Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the highest calls that we have as believer, if not the highest here. Now, what I want to do, because the topic of this Advent series is for us to see how Jesus is the love we need for a self-centered world. And hear me, if you're a believer, we have our self-centered moments. And if you are a non-believer, I respectfully say your life in itself, therefore, is self-centered. So whether you're a believer or not, we all need to give ear to what God has to say about love. But what I want to do is I want to talk about this self-centeredness. What does it mean? What, What does that actually look like? And really simple, again, we can exhaust these things. Self-centered is, in the simplest form, you're preoccupied with yourself with your own affairs. 
You're concerned solely about your own desires, your needs, your interests. And if you need synonyms, it can go a different way. You're self-absorbed, self-centered, self-infatuated, only self-interest, self-obsessed, self-oriented, self-preoccupied, self-regard. You get what I'm saying. You can take any aspect of life, put self in front of it, and all you care about is me, myself, and I. And if we're honest, we have our moments. If we're honest, we're probably living in some of that sometimes. But I want to deal with this saying when we talk about love, and particularly how it looks with self-centeredness. There is a saying that is in our culture today that love is what? Love. We've all probably read it. We probably already heard it at some point. But we say love is love, and really what it means in the simplest form is that love is expressed any way that one desires. The issue again with love is love is that it disregards, it it, it actually makes the person the author and the perfecter of what love is and disregards God's standard as the true author and perfecter of love because what we will see today is that God is love. Not love is God, but God is love. The Bible speaks to what love is and how we ought to express it according to God's standard of love. Before we dive into this, here's what I want to do. Just give you a quick, this isn't exhaustive, but what does, self, what does self-centeredness of a person that loves look like? What does it look like? It's not exhaustive, but a few things. It really thinks of only yourself and no one else, right? It actually <laughs> manipulates, it actually manipulates people or systems and thinking that they're actually contributing for the common good all the while it's really just self-serving the purpose that's running the ship. Some of us become self-centeredness. We become self-centered because we've experienced pain. You say, look, I've been hurt deeply once and that's all it takes. Or you say, I've been hurt multiple times again and again and you say enough is enough. I will move forward in my life only if it benefits me. I will not be taken advantage of again. Because the pain that I feel doesn't feel good. And you're only going to engage with someone to see what stock does it have for you only. And what happens is that we build up this wall because of pain. And now we become encumbered with ourselves and how we look like. We actually use people as instruments for our life because of this pain. We actually, whatever whatever tune that we want to soothe our heart, we pick up the people and play that instrument tune so that our our hearts can be soothed how we want to be in life. Or... Oftentimes, we make people our stepping stone. We say, hey, I will do this with someone because actually I need to get there. Uh, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh, actually become the first step and the second step. All the while will I be on my trajectory to where I need to go. And if they get theirs, then that's okay. 
Sometimes we become self-centeredness when it comes to love because we're actually ashamed of our lives. We're ashamed of what we've done and how we lived. And you say, there's no way I cannot bring that to anybody. Therefore, I'll just keep everybody. We think we're doing a good thing. I'll keep them at arm's distance because I don't, they don't understand the darkest place of my life. And here's how another way love looks like in a self-centered way. God has actually gifted people to be very compassionate and and loving in such a way that actually helps the body. And so therefore, because you got some gifts and you know that you're good at it, we tend to move towards things, whether initially or through the process, and we tend to think that we are the savior. We think that, hey, I can actually get this person to get to there, hear me, it's very subtle, But what is good and has good gifts to be used for the body actually can be manipulated and it's using to prop yourself to make yourself feel good because you think you are the savior. See, that's another side of how self-centeredness does work. But here's what I want to talk about to juxtapose that a little bit is self-care, right? Because you're like, well, hold on. Can I do some things for myself? Isn't that okay? Yeah, it is. Self-care, self-care or self-love, what does it look like? It's practicing on taking actions that preserve your peace or even your health. It's a practice that takes on the role of protecting like your well-being. What does that look like? Again, it is not exhaustive, but you engage in health and wellness of your life. You work out, you eat well, you go enjoy certain recreations, you go to the spa, you get massages, you relax because you have a stressful job, rightfully so. There's nothing wrong with self-care. There's nothing wrong with going to the mountains and hiking. There's nothing wrong with going to enjoy good company because that is self-care for your soul. Hear me, there's nothing wrong with that. The question we gotta ask is what's the heart motive behind it? And sometimes people don't know, but God knows. And let me say this, self-care is removing yourself or walking away from a situation that is physically mentally, emotionally, and spiritually abusive. God does not call us to sit under the abuse of people to be their punching bag. So it is self-care to remove yourself from that. And I know we can get into the man six of like, well, you know, God tells us to bear one another's burdens and all that. Just I hear me, we know what abuse is. We've got stories of what that looked like. We've probably told friends that relationship is not good for you. You should get out of it. But again, that's not exhaustive. That's just a few things. But what we'll look at today in this text is how God really is love, how he defines it. And if you would, draw your eyes to verse 7 and 8. And it reads as this, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever has been born of God knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know. Why? Because God is love. Love 
is from God. God is love. This is a call to believers to love other believers. John is writing to other Christians. However, get this, it does not mean that we are exempt from loving other people that are non-believers. That doesn't mean they don't get to experience love. That's not true. And here's, here's something here. There are non-believers that actually hmm, love better than believers. So why is that? The truth is because people are, people are created in the image of God. There is a common grace that is amongst human beings. And so if you see a non-believer and you're like, how is it that they can love? It is God's common grace being displayed in that person. You go back, look at the book of Matthew chapter 5. It talks about how it rains on the just and the unjust. How the sun shines on the, of the believers and non-believers alike because that's the common grace of God. So let's not just think that only we're called, uh, that believers um, 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 love and display it. No, we see people that actually are not believers and unfortunately love a little bit better than believers do. But here's what's interesting. He says that in this verse, he says that whoever has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This born and know is really in this perfect tense. Born means an initial rebirth where the continual effects of you giving your life to Christ is being affected in your life daily. And the knowledge in this perfect tense here, that word know, is a person that is continually to grow in the knowledge of God. Here's the thing, our capacity to love does not come from us, but it comes from God because we are creatures that were created in God's divine creation. Left up to our own device, we would not love God. We have to come to grips with that. I know that we think we are really better than what we are, but the truth is that in our darkest moments, in, in, in even in our best moments, it's like filthy rags, and we would not love him. We actually would oppose him. We would resist him. Sorry, the beastly beard is getting in the way. <laughs> I can't. Um, but that's important for us to understand. Is that it comes from him because it says love is from him and because God is love. But when you look at verse 9, give this. It's unpacking this. It's unpacking how God is love. Verse 9 says, in this the love of God was manifested, meaning exposed publicly among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, verse 10, not that we loved God. You hear that? Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Here's what we have to understand. Here's what we're saying here. The son that God himself loved us so much that love itself manifested. It became exposed to this weary world. So we celebrate Advent because love, who is in his son, Jesus, broke through and went and, lit and laid in a feeding trough 
Why? Because it says, so that we might live through him. Meaning that we were spiritually dead. Okay? And now we have life through the confession and through in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Our condition was spiritual death. But his mission impacted our life to bring life that we might truly live through him. Hear me, if you are not a believer, I know you think you're living life and you are living life, but you are living it in a way that actually leads to destruction because you have not surrendered your life to the Lord. And if you are a non-believer, we need to be reminded that our life here is lived through Christ, not ourselves. Notice what it said that he sent his son. When you look at verse 19 of this same chapter, it says we loved because he loved first. He made the initial step, not us. He approached us, not us. You know how it is when you see something good, whether it's a person or a fool, you're like, look, I need to holler at that. I'm just being real. Hey, I was, and we don't find a way. I remember when I first met Sierra, my wife, I had to, I, I met her at church. What a good place to meet her. She a godly woman, you know? <laughs> I was going to say a joke. I ain't going to say that. <laughs> but here's what I mean by that. I pursue, what I'm saying is that we think that we pursued him, but in this situation, when I look at my wife with Sierra and I, I remember I went away from college, but I saw her at Bible study and I called my boy. I'm sorry, this wasn't holy enough, but I said, hey, bro, you remember that girl that was sitting like three rows before? And she got the long hair, brown skin. Yeah, she kind of looked good, man. I, I didn't care about her spirit. I just like, she looked good to my eyes. I'm just, I'm like, she in church, so surely she loved the Lord, right? But what I'm saying is that I initially went after her or vice versa, some of us go after what we love or what we see, but here is the true reality. We did not approach God like that. He sent his son. He approached us. And I think that's important for us to know as we unpack that. Here's the thing. Real love has its origin and its source in God and not the world. Okay? Not the world. What do you see that? If you overturn over to 1 John... 1 John chapter 2, it says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, you hear that? All that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the, um, yeah, the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not, hear me, is not from it is not from the Father, but is from the world. And it says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Loving the world is not the way to go. It is fading and deteriorating away. As we see here in God, the love of the world is not the source of the origin. Love is not found. Its source, its origin not found in the world. It's found in God because if you love the things of this world, you, you're not loving the Father. 
God is very clear with that. What do you look and what do you hold to as your worship, as your source? Is it yourself? But get this though, love is not. We talked about how love was sent, how he talked about how he sent his son that it was manifest into this world, okay? Jesus comes in the manger, born in human flesh, likeness of sin, but yet did not sin. But then the following verse talks about how the son is the propitiation, the atoning work, the ultimate sacrifice for the world. So what we do know is love, get this, love is always demonstrated by action. It is not stagnant. It is not abstract. It is not self-consumed. Love is sent. Love takes a step and it regards its others more than itself. How do you know that? What was fascinating is, is just in chapter 3, it talks about in verse 16 of 1 John, it says, by this we know love. How do we know love? That he, Jesus, laid, his son, laid, uh, laid down his life for us. And then it says, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So we know he went to die on the cross. John 3, 16, we quoted as a child, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while, my Lord, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Here is something beautiful about this. We usually approach love and we look at love because we want it to be beautiful. We want it to, the, the beauty of whatever it is, whether it's the external beauty or the beauty of the engagement of whatever the object or thing is that we engage with. And the moment... What we engage with becomes less attractive for whatever reason, we do away with it. We see it as children. You see children get toys and gifts all the time, and literally two weeks later, we're like, wait a minute, why you ain't playing with that? Well, I don't like that no more. And we can laugh at children, but adults are the same way. Meaning that our love is actually not truly love because it's lost its value. But what we see after these couple of scriptures that I read to you, how God so loved the world, how he sent Jesus to, which is love embodied, while we were sinners, what that means is that real love, God is love, actually approached you in your insecurities. Found you in your deep, dark secrets that nobody knows about but him. Meaning that you are not beyond being loved in a true sense. Meaning that God, even when you are not as tight and clean-knit as you want to be, he says, you know what? I'm going to send my son into this world because I love them. When you start to really sit and ponder that, it's kind of hard to rack your brain around that. Because I don't know about you, but I know what I have done. I know how I have lived. And I know that there's moments, how, and get this, how I currently live at times. And yet, he takes the first step and says, I want you. Yeah, I know you ain't the prettiest in the room, but I want you. Yeah, I know you got those problems. And you're like, God, but you don't understand. I did this. He goes, I know, but I want you though. 
Well, 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 well you, don't, you don't know what I did, and you don't know what I did last night, and, and, and you don't understand how I've treated people. That, I got you. I want you. Whatever excuse we want to come up with, God so loved us and said, hey, go into this world that's a hot mess. It's weary, it's broken, and guess what? Love, I, I want to love them. Yeah, they ain't doing nothing for me, but I want to love them. And so I send Jesus into this world to die for us, to be the propitiation for us. What great love is that? I was reminded of an image today, literally today, where the child of a mother was, the child was running around and the mother actually lost sight and what the child thought was fun actually went and was running around and got stuck in an elevator and was terrified. What he thought was going to be fun ended up being horrific. And while the mother was searching aimlessly for her child, so patiently and so calm, when she found her child, my Lord, she didn't scold him. She saw the terror and the fear in his eyes and she embraced him. What does that mean? That is a beautiful depiction and a reminder that although we may run from the Lord, we may go do things that we think is fun and realize, whoo, this was not the right choice. It's kind of like the prodigal son. But yet, God sits there, extended arms, waiting to come back. And just as you're trying to explain, hey, well, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It just, he embraces you. Whatever you love in this world, I submit you, it cannot hold you, embrace you like the Father, the creator of this world can. Nothing. Wow, my Lord. Verse 11, we got to keep going. He says, beloved, in verse 11, if God so loved us, get this. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Hmm. Fascinating here. What this lets us know is that word ought is really the, it becomes a command. It is our obligation and the inner motive for us to love people. Loving others does not mean, and hear me, when he says you ought to love others, I said this earlier, loving others does not mean you subject yourself to their abuse. And hear me for a moment, I would like to talk to believers here. Because unfortunately, we hear stories within the church of how whether the pastor or believers get manipulated and sucked into propping up the person's kingdom instead of God's kingdom. Hear me. Loving others does not mean you subject yourself to the advancement of a person's kingdom. That does not mean that. God does not call that. He doesn't call us to please man. He calls us to please him. And unfortunately, many of us either experience that through our life or we know friends or other people who has experienced that and has been subject all in the name of Christian kingdom work gets hurt because 
they realize at some point I'm actually carrying out somebody else's vision. Get this, I'm actually carrying out, I'm trying to, I'm propping up a man or a woman's vision that actually kind of makes them God instead of God himself. Mm, I love that. Somebody said, uh-oh. Amen, lights. Then come on, let's just be real here. God doesn't call that. So when we love others, we ought to do it from a place of love in the way that God calls us to love. Okay? But what we know is that love also bears witness to God. It bears witness to God. Well, how do you know that? Well, if you look at verse 12, here's what it says. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 20 of this same chapter tells us, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he cannot see. So what we do know is that God is invisible and no one has seen him just like we can see each other in flesh. He is invisible there. He is spirit. But love as we live out, as we love one another, bears witness to God. So how you conduct yourself with other believers is actually a visible representation of God. How do we know that? We've heard people say, I ain't got nothing to do with the church because I'd encounter somebody that's a hot mess. I've been hurt by them. And you know what? Why would I want to do that in the church? Why would I want to serve your God when you living just like I'm living? So we know that when people encounter other folks that are believers, they see the way that a person is being conducted, therefore concludes that God ain't what I want to be about. So how we live has huge implications on earth. As a believer, it bears witness to God. But not only does love bear witness, love also is evidence of our salvation. Because in verse 16 of chapter 4, of 1 John chapter 4, it says, So we have come to know and believe, here it is, or rely that love, excuse me, the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. We look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, where it talks about how we're children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, talks about how we have passed from death to life. Understand this. Our salvation, love, is evident of our salvation. Jesus came and therefore went to the cross lived perfectly, got hung on the raggedy cross for you and I, while people mocked and, and, and ridiculed him just as much as we do, and yet love kept him up there. Love for the Father and what, God, what the Father's will was, not anything that we do. And so when he died on that cross, he gave up his spirit. Not, not, the men didn't kill him. He gave it up, as the scripture says. And therefore rose from the grave three days later with all power in his hand. And therefore, when we believe and we realize that we are not savior, that we cannot love how we think we ought to love and how we actually embody love in a way that is contrary to God, but we're loving according to the world. And we say, you know what? I want to do away with that because I'm in a man that actually loves me so much more than anything in this world can. Therefore, I want to give my life to that. 
Love is evidence of our salvation. And what we also know that love in God gives us confidence in the day of judgment. Verses 17 through 18, it talks about how one does not have to fear at the day of judgment. The reason why they do not, one does not have to fear at the day of judgment is because they confess and given their life to the Lord and the Lord looks at them and will treat them just as, excuse me, God will look at them and treat them just as he does his son Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus is what draped in all over you. And so love give us the confidence that God will say, hey, I'm loving this woman, this man, the same way I loved my only son. So when judgment day comes, because it's coming, we don't have to be feared. We don't have to be fearful. Because we realize, hey, he loved us in a way that I'm free to live and be. That's why I pray the prayer, Lord, come quick. I pray that the Lord come right now in the middle of this sermon. Life is weary and hard, and I don't fear death. Now, hear me. I don't want to. I kind of don't want to die. I'm just being honest with you. I'm like, oh, it'd be great to kind of live a little bit. But the longer I live, the more I'm like, hey, look, come on, take me on to glory. I have nothing to fear because, God, you love me. I've surrendered and given all to you. Amen? Sorry, we're doing a little more teaching today, you know. But here's something that I think now we get to wrestle with just a little bit. Is how do we sit here and we love people? You're like, okay, I get that. But now it becomes challenging because we're called. It says you ought to love one another. And it gets challenging to love people. I don't know about you, but we some difficult. Notice I said we some difficult people. But here the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the power to love. Verse 13 says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he gave, he has given us his spirit. He has given us his spirit. The ability to love beyond you is from God. The ability to even love when you have been wronged, hurt, wounded, and have no desire you're able to because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you. Remember what I said, love moves forward. Love is not stagnant. Love is not abstract. It is an action that is expressed and lived. It's not just with word alone. We must do it indeed. First John 3 says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Because it's hard to love people. But I submit to you today that when you take a moment to gather yourselves and you bring all of who you are and you're honest with God, hey, I don't want to love them. I actually don't want to step towards them. I actually don't want to fool with them because I don't like what just happened. They wronged me. They don't see it right. They don't see it how I see it. Even in our complaining to God, sometimes we get a little selfish. But what happens is that when we sit down for a moment and realize all that the Father has done for us, and realize it, that when we realize that Christ, even while he was hung on the cross, prayed a prayer of forgiveness for people that was ridiculing him in the midst of pain. 
So surely if the Savior can be on the cross and forgive my Lord, surely by the power of the Spirit, get this, not by human might, but the power of the Spirit, we can say, you can walk to someone and engage with them. Loving does not mean passivity. Loving does not mean you become a doormat. Loving does not mean that you're buddy buddies. But for the sake of the kingdom, even if you don't get a chance to interact with them, you can forgive them in that moment. Now get this, forgiveness in the moment does not mean your wound is healed. As you walk along and remember the love of God, your wounds get healed. I'm just trying to be real. I don't want to get this fake Christian like, oh, we forgave and everything's good. That ain't true. We walk with limps and we're wounded. Mm. But by his stripes, my Lord, we are healed. I know I'm talking to myself right now. So how do we love one another? Huh? Let's do the power of the spirit. What I'm gonna do as we get ready to wrap our time, I'm just gonna spend some, going to a couple of verses that can help us to know how we can love one another. How we ought to, how is love to be looked here on earth? We know that Jesus came, God is love. He sent his son, love was manifested to us. His son was sent to be our propitiation. So therefore we know that love is embodied in the person of Jesus. And that's why we celebrate Advent because we wait his longing for him to come back and make all things right. But until then, how do we love in such a way that brings a little bit of heaven here on earth until we wait for Christ to come? First Corinthians chapter 13, we all have heard it before. Some of us may have, and particularly verse Three and four, but what's, I mean, but verse four through eight, but what's fascinating here is that when you go back and look at first Corinthians chapter 13 and you look at verses one through three, it talks about how that you can be gifted. You can do whatever you want. If there is no love, you are just a clung, you're just clinging symbols. You can be the most gifted person. You can be the most anointed person. You can be the most, uh, 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 welcoming person but whatever that you are how God has created it if you do not embody true love in the way that Christ get this it's worthless because the ability to love is not coming from God but it's coming from yourself it's coming from the world but here's what it says. But then it says in verse 4 through 8, it says love is patient. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse uh, 4 through 8, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It does not, it's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. When you look at this, you hear Jesus embodied in this because Jesus was immensely patient. He was immensely kind. He wasn't boastful or envy. Actually, he wasn't arrogant, nor was he even rude. It said, in fact, he actually didn't insist on his way because he says, not my will, but your will be done. It is not irritable. It is not resentful because he forgave people even on the, he healed folks 
on this earth and even forgave while on the cross. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. But it rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And at the beginning of verse 8a, it says love never ends. How do we love people? Because love is embodied there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 through Jesus Christ. And therefore, you're able to be patient because you're loving people through Christ, not yourself. It's a hard thing to do. But it can be done. It says in Romans chapter 12, love is genuine. It does not abhor evil. It holds fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another by showing honor. We know, how do we love people? We know that love is sacrifice, sacrificial and servanthood. We already seen in 1 John chapter 3 where it says that he laid down his life and we ought to lay down our life as well. John 15 tells us in verse 12, this is the commandment that you love one another as I, as Jesus, have loved you. Greater love has none than this than someone to lay down his life for his friend. It ought to be sacrificial. It should not be self-consumed. What does it look like? I don't know, but it looks like considering others more than selves, not just yourself. It says in John chapter 13, when he says, this is the commandment that I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. Why? Because by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus took off the towel going to the cross before he went to the cross and washed his servant's feet. He modeled what servanthood looks like. No servant is greater than his master. It requires to pick up your cross daily. And follow him. Many of us, I love what Dr. Tony Evans said, many of us want the crown of salvation without the cross of salvation. Amen, lights. We want the glory, we want the glory that is to come, but we forget that we ought to pick up our cross and we ought to follow him. Because he modeled for us what we and I should dare never do. It's servanthood. You're thoughtful of others, Philippians 2, as we talk about, as we know. Don't do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us look not to his own interests, but also the interests of others. That means the same way that you want to be interested in your life, you ought to be interested in somebody else's life. Doesn't mean you can't be interested, but it's like, you know what? I'm not going to use people as a step stool. I'm not going to use people to get where I want to go. Actually, I'm, in the moment, I'm caring about this person more than myself. <laughs> What's the simple way to do this? And I struggle with this. That means that when you're engaging with somebody, guess what you don't do? You don't just sit here and pull out your phone in the middle of a conversation. Get on Instagram. Get on Facebook. I do it. I'm guilty of it. Listen, I, I'm preaching to the choir. But I'm realizing little subtleties like that displays to people that I care more about what's here instead of what's in front of me. We ought to be encouraging to one another, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Encourage one another in words. We ought to be hospitable to one another. We ought to be, act humbly towards each other. We ought to pray for others. We ought to live in peace with others. We ought to show forgiveness. We ought to bear each other's burdens. Why? Because in verse 21, it says, this is the commandment we have from him. God the Father, whoever loves God also must love one another. 
The way that the world loves does not compare, does not embody anything what God's love is. The love of the world cares about me, myself, and I. And it's passing away. takes great humility to acknowledge that we have not loved the way that God called us to love. It takes great humility to acknowledge that because we've been more self-absorbed, because we've been more self-consumed with our ways and our thoughts, therefore we haven't loved people and actually hurt people along the way. It takes great humility to say, you know what? I'm going to love the way that God loved me because God is love. And he shows throughout scripture what that looks like. Therefore, even when I don't want to do it. Because if you keep reading in 1 John chapter 5, it talks about how the commands that God gives us are not burdensome. It just goes against our selfish nature. We just don't want to engage in it because it takes great humility to sit with brothers and sisters and actually love them in a way that God calls us to love that, get this, doesn't benefit you and I. And so let us be people that we were marked by loving others in this world, that we embody Christ in the flesh, that we embody a little bit of heaven here on earth and love people so that when people encounter and they say, hey, look, get this, I've met someone that actually loved me when I was a hot mess. And you talk about your God loves you? Yeah, I want some of that. Because you realize where you once were. And you say, you know what? I will be foolish to not love someone the same way God has loved me. So let us be marked by loving people because Jesus is love. God is love. And he came, broke through this weary world, and we have joy to know that we get to experience his love here on earth, but yet we wait the beautiful love that is to come when he comes back and all things will be new. That's why we can have joy in a weary world, not because of you or I or what this world can afford, but because Jesus embodies love because God is love. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you love us and that you are love. That love is not love, but that God is love and it was manifest to us through your son, Jesus. May by the power of your spirit and your might, Father, may we be able to love one another the way that you call us to love, that we love through sacrificing, love through servanthood, through encouragement, through edifying one another. Because the way you call us to live is not burdensome by your power and your spirit, God. Help us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. 
Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.